Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm Dan Eiten, here joined as always by Todd Atkins. And today we're excited to have with us Chris Horst. Chris has worked with Hope International for the past 16 years and just recently transitioned into a newer role with the organization as Senior Development Ambassador. Chris has also authored uh, and published several articles in the Denver Post and Christianity Today and has co-written books, Entrepreneurship for Human Flourishing, Rooting for Rivals with his co-author Peter Greer and as well as their latest book The Gift of Disillusionment Enduring Hope for Leaders After Idealism Fades. Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Ah, so thrilled to be with you. So what's really interesting for me is um, I think your all's last book was Mission Drift. Going through the last two years or so, you know, Lifeway has done a tremendous amount of research with pastors in particular. And we had over a thousand pastors and we surveyed them three times. So three times throughout the last couple of years. And, un, you know, you wouldn't be surprised that the number one struggle people have is stress and anxiety. And, and I don't want to pile on to that because I think a lot of us are starting to get to be overhearing about it. But just because you're overhearing about it doesn't mean it's over. And so uh, your new book, The Gift of Disillusionment, is, I, is, I think, right on time. I mean, uh, it, it's probably no longer new. Books don't stay new very long, you know, but it's, it is very recent. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll get into the, the five questions. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we actually started this book before the pandemic. So we began our initial research in 2019. And really, it was on the kind of broadly on the virtue of hope and and how leaders exude hope, hold on to hope, cling to hope when things are, are going poorly. And then the world turned upside down in early 2020. And so it just became an even more timely project. Uh, we actually cite that research that you've done in the book, just showing it's not just pastors, it's teachers, it's nurses, it's nonprofit leaders who are just over the course of the last few years, they're just beat up and they're worn out and they're tired of just all of the internal turmoil they're feeling in their own homes, uh, the turmoil that they've kind of navigated within their organizations and companies. And so we just wanted to write about leaders from all across the world who faithfully persevered in the midst of challenges even more significant than what we've all walked through uh, over the last few years. And again, like the experience that we've had the last few years is in some ways it pales in comparison to what many experience around the world all the time. Uh, and to many of our, you know, the, those that have gone before us in the faith, those from the days of the, you know, the days of the scriptures until now, I mean, trials, tribulation, suffering, pain, uh, early death, unexplained illness. I mean, all of that was normal for most of human history. So truly we are living in the exception in a place where stability is something that we can count on. Uh, so I think the last few years really revealed how much we, at least for me personally, how much we idolize stability and certainty. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Chris. Um, excited to, to learn more about the book as we continue to talk, but let's jump into the five leadership questions. Pod, do you want to ask the first one today? Sure. Um, my, my first question is really, who are you currently learning from? 
who or where, you know, are you finding learning these days? Well, I'm in an interesting season right now where I'm on a quasi sabbatical for about 12 months. And, and so I, I remember probably about a decade ago hearing Andy Crouch talk about the, the biblical concept of sabbatical and, and then in playing God, he wrote about it. I think it's chapter 13 of that book. Uh, so I've been reading that and rereading that kind of in anticipation of this year, but uh, I transitioned out of my senior leadership role at the end of 2022 and into a season where I'm largely a stay-at-home dad. And so I'm, in some ways, I, I don't want to say I'm on sabbatical because I, I don't want to insult stay-at-home parents because it's that's real work and we have four young kids. It's not a vacation. It's not like a study leave. But it is, I mean, in some ways, I'm, like, I'm calling it my adult gap year. It's, it's a year between what was, which is 16 years of leadership at Hope International, uh, into to what's ahead. So um, I, I learned a lot from Andy Crouch, and I'd say right now I'm learning a ton from my kids. Uh, having been in a role where I travel a lot and spent a lot of time uh, in the office, I mean, it was a very, like, I love my job, but really demanding. I'm in a place now where I, I just have a slower pace of life, and I've had more opportunities to have extended conversations with my four-year-old than I've ever had in the past. And with all my kids, you know, getting to drive them to and from school and pottery and swim lessons and everything in between, I just feel like I'm uh, in, in a place where I have more headspace to just listen and talk to them. Um, so I'd say Andy Crouch on sabbatical and my kids is probably the, the five uh, that I've been learning most from over the past few months. Now go back um, over the past, I don't know, year or two, is there any book resource that you would say, oh, that's that's a must read or a, a, a must listen or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, my favorite uh, books right now are fiction. So I've been I've been really diving into a lot of fiction. I mean, I've, I've reread through the Narnia series and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, and I've just been enjoying sort of entering into books outside of my normal realm, which is Christian nonprofit leadership books. I mean, these, these are books that I've written and, you know, spent a lot of time reading. So the last few years, I've been really focused uh, on, on fiction. So True Grit is the, my favorite uh, book that I've read uh, over the past two years. But in terms of leadership books, I mean, I'm a big Andy Crouch fan. So yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Strong and Weak. Awesome. And, you know, leading into our second question, um, this would be interesting with you being on sabbatical right now, um, taking some time off. Like, what is the main point of emphasis for your leadership of yourself right now? What does that look like while you're on sabbatical? So when I I shared with my good friend and, and boss mentor, Peter Greer, uh, about 15 months ago. So a year before I transitioned out of my leadership role, I told him that I was giving my, him my 12 month notice about my transition from this role. And um, he asked, and I gladly agreed to stay on staff at Hope five hours a week. So I'm doing that this year uh, and have really enjoyed the opportunity of investing and encouraging my successors. So I had the opportunity to work alongside and actually hire and develop and grow and nurture and invest in the leaders who are now sitting in the role um, that I was sitting in previously. And so my focus of leadership right now is just really trying as best as I possibly can to be an encourager to them and to be an encourager to the, the leadership that they're taking on, the new roles and responsibilities that they have. Uh, so that's been the, the main point of emphasis has been like, how can I rally and support, uh, rally behind them and support them as they step in, step into more? 
Peter has often said that the most important, important performance assessment you'll get is not during your tenure, but it's one year, two years, three years after you transition out of a leadership role. And so I, I really took that to heart and have, have made it sort of my, my goal to, to leave hope as well as any leader could, um, as well as I possibly can to ensure that the organization is set up for success. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting because right now you do have so many people in transition in their, their life and, and career. The great resignation just didn't happen you know, right. in, in, in the secular world. It also happened in the church world. And there's guys that are moving seats and whatnot. And, uh, you know, in the past, I mean, I've been at Lifeway for now 10 years. But in the past, you know, I've um, had to transition and, and, and try to do so well. What would you say? Not everybody's going to be able to stay on, you know, for a year and, and spend five hours a week. But how does somebody transition well? Well, I, I do recognize that I had the unique position of having incredibly high levels of trust with my boss and with my, my teammates, those that I managed. And that's not always the case in every role for everyone. So I just want to name that as a caveat kind of going in. But when I uh, shared with Peter, so again, this was 15 months ago, it was November 2021. Uh, I wrote a, a letter to him and just sort of outlined, here's a, here are all the reasons I love my job, all the reasons I love hope, all the reasons I've loved working for you. And, and here are the reasons why I'm transitioning out in 12 months. Um, I want to give you as much notice as possible. I was in a role at, at that time, um, managing a staff of six and uh, departments of about 70 employees and served on the senior leadership team at hope. And I had seen other transitions that went okay, but not great from, from the organization. And I think oftentimes, you know, it was by necessity or, or by stage in life, it just wasn't possible to do a long transition out. But I felt like because I had been in Hope for 16 years, it was important for it to not be a surprising kind of lurch creating sort of transition out of the organization. I've grown up here and I, I wanted uh, Hope to be in a really strong position on the other side of my leadership. And, and so I think one of the most important things for leaders transitioning out, if you have trust, is, is rather than surprise your you know, boss and your colleagues with your transition to be transparent. I mean, again, that's, it, it is, I remember when I, I sent it to a, like the guys in my small group, uh, this letter that I was going to send, a few of them were just kind of, they, they like knew Peter and they knew Hope and they felt good about like they, they like had nothing but great things to say and think about those about the organization and about Peter as a leader. But there was like, as a friend, there was like concern, like, Hey, Chris, are you ready for Peter to say when you send this letter? Hey, thanks, but no thanks. Like, let's give it a month and, or let's, you know, let's make today your last day and, and you can transition out right now. Like, are you prepared for that to happen? Are you financially ready for that? And, you know, Peter was incredibly gracious and of course was like, you know, an absolute uh, gem to work with through that process. Uh, but having that transparency with him and then with my direct reports, I think really created a foundation of by the time I left in December, this past December, I mean, it was sort of like, what are you still doing here? Like, uh, you've done your work, you know, we're grateful for you. New leaders are ready uh, and we're, we're prepared to take the reins and like, God bless you. Like, enjoy your next season. So I, I think I, I would err on the side of taking risks and transparency 
and sharing your plans versus having it like just sort of following the, I don't know, the cultural norms of giving your boss two weeks notice. Um, I think it, it serves the organization and the church, your company well to allow them to prepare and not have that, the communication, the, you know, who's taking over the responsibilities to have that be well thought through, which I think giving 12 months notice uh, allowed us to do that. And not, the whole organization didn't find out until October. So it was, you know, I shared with my boss and my direct reports over the course of November, December, January, February, March. And then it was like a slow process of, of bringing more in uh, as they needed to know. I think that's really, it's, it's good for, I think, leaders to hear on two sides. Uh, one, you hope to have a boss that you can trust and to have those conversations. That's what you want. But I would also say for those listening, that's the kind of leader that you want to be too. If you've developed that amount of trust and care for someone, then it's absolutely amazing. And what a compliment to your leadership. If people are able to express that they might be thinking of leaving or, you know, processing a different calling on their life right now or, or whatever. I think it's a, it's something that's, that is something to strive for as a leader to be able to have those very candid and caring conversations. I remember, I mean, I learned from my colleagues that did this so well. I remember one of our fundraisers, uh, she shared with us two years before she left that she said, you know, I've loved being at Hope. I've loved being a fundraiser, but God's given me a sort of a vision to start my own business. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm hoping and planning for that to transpire over the next year or two. And that just allowed us to have uh, so much more openness and transparency with her and kind of that ongoing discussion. It allowed us to hire her successor in a way that they could overlap. I mean, there's just so many benefits to it. So having watched a few of my colleagues transition out well and, and Hope has a really, really high level of trust organizationally. Uh, I think Best Christian Workplace survey over the past few years has said we're in the top few percent of all the Christian faith-based nonprofits that they survey. These are anonymous surveys of all of our employees uh, across Hope's global network. And, and so we have high trust. And so I think that is, that is something that's not possible everywhere. But in organizations where you have high levels of trust, it, it's been a gift to me as a leader on the other side. And I hope it's been a gift to Hope on this side. What's fascinating to me is I've actually had people call me from where another, where somebody that was currently working with me was, was, was going or looking to go. And it just, they didn't understand why that person was comfortable sharing me, you know, as a reference or encouraging, right. you know, because they're like, are you trying to get rid of this person? Right. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. They're like, well, I don't understand why you're not fighting for this person. I'm like, well, one, I actually believe that, you know, they're, they want to transition back to the church or they want to, you know, it's, um, it's just fascinating sometimes. And honestly, I'm talking to that, uh, person, this is a while back, uh, was talking to that person being like, Hey man, this is not a good sign. If this person (laughs) is calling me and trying to figure out why, uh, we have this kind of level of trust that might not be the guy you want to go work for. Just right. Right. Just 
you know, just might be an indication. And he didn't actually go there. So that was good. I mean, it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly rare. I mean, truly it, it shouldn't be, but I, I think it is. I mean, we, we just sort of assume like I'm this, there's like, I'll, I'll open up about all of my life apart from my own thoughts about my own future here at this organization with my boss. Right. And, and so what ends up happening is you end up creating this really strange dynamic where like the assumption is everyone's just going to retire here or die here. Like that's, that's kind of like, unless, unless we take an incredible risk, the assumption is you're going to die or retire uh, at this employer. And, and I think when leaders can create a culture where those conversations are more transparent and obviously there are boundaries, like three months into your new job, like, I don't know if I'm in, like, I kind of think I want to, like, I'm ready for something new. I mean, that, that is a, you know, I think in some ways a really poor move early in the tenure, but for, for many leaders, I think they can take more risks with their employees and with them, with their own like tenure um, than, they, than they currently are. So, so I have to ask this question as you, as you wrote the book, the gift of disillusionment, enduring hope for leaders after idealism fades is, was that part of writing that book? Did that help you come to a conclusion of you want to move on to something else or you want to take the sabbatical? Did that play into anything? Well, I mean, I'm very honest in the book. 2020 was my worst year professionally, uh, without a doubt. I think that I, I believe that's true for a lot of people. But um, I mean, I hated my job in 2020. And, um, and I definitely felt this like pull to leave at that point. And uh, God was really faithful, you know, and Peter was really gracious and kind and kind of walking alongside me through that tough year. And 2021 was one of my favorite years at work. Uh, and I had a great year and felt a sense of renewal and excitement and enthusiasm in the book process, I think gave me a sense of perspective on just the world and the, the challenges I was going through and like the, the internal stress and anxiety I was feeling. I was like, yeah, this, this is significant, but I mean, I'm talking to leaders in, you know, India and the Middle East and all over who are like dealing with kids getting kidnapped and dealing with incredible high levels of violence and, you know, instability and financial uncertainty. And so I think it really put my own, like my own stuff in perspective. Uh, But then 2021 was a great year and I just love being at Hope and I love the role. It was really at the end of 2021 where I felt this invitation from God to close this chapter so it was, it's, it was a sustaining process writing this book and working and listening to, to leaders from all over the world throughout 2019 and 2020. Uh, 2021 was a great year. And I was honestly sort of surprised at the end of the year. I just felt this like real peace and resolve um, of my time at Hope was coming to a conclu- conclusion. Well, our next question is, it's one that... Um, Frequent listeners know it's not my favorite question, <laughs> but it stood the test of time. So, so we're going to keep it in. Uh, and that is other than bending, other than spiritual disciplines, what is something that you need to do pretty much daily to stay sharp as a leader? Well, the things I don't do every day are I really am committed to not praying and to not exercise. <laughs> so I, I've just adopted as a principle for life, no exercise and no prayer. So those are the, two, like those are the two that are out. Uh, the things that I am committed to, uh, I mean, in this season, one of the things I've been really intentional about is praying with my kids in the car. So jokes aside, uh, this is not something I did previously. And it has been a practice that I've been 
jumping into and, and just sort of asking the question as I, it's a six minute commute to our kids school. So it's not like we have time for, uh, you know, deep theological discussions and, and they're tired. It's, you know, early in the morning, but just saying like, Hey, what can I pray for, pray for you about today? And yesterday, uh, my second grader in his, his school, they had quail eggs, uh, that were hatching in the class and was just, he wanted to pray for the, you know, the baby quail. Uh, and pray they, they would make it and survive. And, and that was really sweet. That's awesome. Uh, and my, my kindergartner, she was really wanting to like, wanted me to pray that God would give her the strength to finish all of her homework. And I, I don't know, I've just found these, these conversations of like, if I don't force the issue and I just allow them to talk, they'll often say, uh, just the normal stuff. But uh, a lot of times if I just give space, we end up in really fun conversations about what's going on in their little hearts and minds. Uh, so that's one. The other practice that's a, a daily thing for me when I'm in a healthy place, and it's not true all the time, it has been true recently, is I, you know, the iPhone presents so many interesting tools right now to allow yourself to sort of tie your own hands. And so uh, my, my phone goes into what I call like family focus time uh, every day from four o'clock until eight o'clock. Uh, so this is the, like the all in time, all of our kids, my wife, all of us are almost always around and doing something together as a family. We're eating dinner, we're at kids sporting events, we're going to church, whatever. And, and just putting my phone in, in place where I, I cannot get texts or calls, they don't come through for anyone but my wife, um, allows me to just not be interrupted at all. Uh, it doesn't allow emails to even show up as notifications. If I were to open my phone and see, oh, I have seven new emails, like, I don't see that. Um, so I'm not jumping into my inbox to respond to messages. So the goal is, and it's not always, I'm not always this militant about it, but the goal is that it just stays, the phone stays in the, the parking spot. Like I plug it in in my office and I'm out, you know, with the family. If I'm out driving somewhere, I'll t- take my phone with me. But um, that's been a really great, I just feel like less distracted in those key hours. After the kids go to bed, you know, I'll, I'll open my phone and respond to texts and emails, whatever else. But uh, having those four hours of kind of dedicated family time each day uh, has been a real gift. That's awesome. And that, that kind of leads into our fourth question is, what does leadership in your home look like? And I, I kind of want to even tweak this question a little bit as you are currently more at home um, than you are working. As when, Whenever that time is that you go back to work, are there things that you want to keep from your leadership at home that you weren't maybe doing before when you were working full time? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's funny, Dan, how much empathy I think I've developed for my wife over the last few months in areas that I, I, I understood cognitively what she was going through, but never had really experienced it myself. So I started at home right out of undergrad. So I finished at Taylor in 2006 in May and started full time in June 2006 and have been there through the end of 2022. So 16 plus years of being all in, in my, you know, the last decade, I've been in this uh, leadership role, senior leadership role at Hope. And so manage a team, budget, travel, speaking, writing, all of that. Uh, and for all of the time that I've been married, so 14 years of those 16 years, Allie's job has been the more flexible job of the two of ours. So mm-hmm. I've had the full-time 50 hour week traveling kind of job, and she's had the in some cases, no, no paid work. In other cases, five hours a week, 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week. 
And so we're in this season where there's been total reversal, where I'm in this gap year, sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, um, and she's working full time. And, and so I, I do think like one of the things that I've realized through this is how little I understood about the challenges of the work um, that she did and she managed at home so often. Just the, like the ongoing sort of low grade stress that I'm always the one on point for all of our kids. So mm-hmm. when a kid, and this happened a lot over the last two months, when a kid's thrown up in the middle of the night, like I'm the one who's, who's going to be up and ready because she's got to go to work in the morning. Uh, when a kid uh, has a snow day, which again happened a lot over the past few months here in Colorado, uh, I'm the one that's got to be flexed and ready to be able to like navigate four kids under the roof with, with you know, sub-zero temperatures outside. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm, so our four-year-old is home, home with me. And I mean, just, just the sheer volume of questions he asks me about life. I mean, yesterday was, he was working on counting to a hundred. Um, and it was like, what comes after 49, you know, 50, what comes after 59, 60. And we're working through like up, you know, for, I, it was probably 30 minutes. And, and there's, there's a level of insanity that comes with like navigating like the, the amazing and beautiful questions and crazy questions of, uh, four-year-olds. And, and so then like when my wife gets home from work, and she's like asking me all sorts of questions. I'm like, I can't handle another question, you know? And I heard her say that to me years ago, you know, and I didn't really understand what that looked like. Um, and now I'm like seeing it and experiencing it for the, for the first time. Or when like I would come back from leading a team retreat somewhere and be gone for four days, come home and she's just ready to hand all the kids to me because <laughs> the last four days she's been running around with her hair on fire. And I'm feeling like, okay, like I am physically capable of doing this, but I'm totally spent. Like I'm emotionally, relationally exhausted from leading a team retreat the past four days. Uh, now we've had that, again, we've had that same experience in reverse where I've seen the look in her eyes when she came home uh, from leading her own team retreats and is like, I, I know that I should be like ready to go do like organic crafting with the kids. And I, I like want to put the movie on and like sit on the couch because I've got nothing left. Yep, that's awesome. That is awesome. Okay, here uh, we're going to go to our last question, and that is what would you tell your 20-year-old self about leading, or what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, when, I, when I think about my 20-year-old self, I think one of the things that I would have been really, I was really kind of twisted up about, uh, it was mapping out my kind of career trajectory and figuring out the, you know, the, the way to advance up the ladder, uh, organizationally, wherever I would end up being employed. And one of the things I've observed now from my own journey, but, but also from leading and managing a team, uh, over the course of the last decade is that, uh, leaders who are, that have an agenda and ambition that's really blatant for their own careers, uh, I think often miss opportunities to faithfully serve in the places where they are. Hmm. And, and so I would, have, I would have told myself to just do the work nobody else wants to do, be a really good employee, like show up on time, meet your deadlines, submit your expense reports, be the last one to leave, you know, when, when you're you know, working an event, and, and allow this sort of the next steps of the career to, to present themselves to you. And 
I, you know, I was part of an organization that grew from 3 million in revenue to over 30 million in revenue over the last 16 years. So there were like leadership opportunities that emerged because the organization was growing. So that's not true for everyone, but I think watching leaders that have come into hope with ambition and expectations, oftentimes it, it felt like they were never able to fully live into the role that they were in because they were constantly thinking about that sort of stepping stone into what was next versus leaders that were just really focused on excelling in their work, uh, serving the organization. Again, taking notes whenever possible, taking things off the leader's plate, absorbing stress. Uh, they were the ones we just threw more at, more like more opportunities, more opportunities, more opportunities, because they weren't consumed or, or really obsessed with their own journey. Um, so that's what I would tell my 20 year old self is like, chill out about what you're going to be doing in five years. Be an awesome executive assistant, which was my first job at Hope. Uh, just being an, like an amazing executive assistant. Do that job as best as you possibly can and let God work through uh, your own organization and, and other opportunities. Just kind of present what those next steps might be. Okay, so this is an important follow-up question. I know that was t- technically our sort of last question. We should probably be wrapping up, but you said something that I know Dan knows about as well. You put yourself in that EA role. Talk about how important that was to your future, who you who you've become. Uh, it was. I mean, it was an incredible opportunity to. I mean, I think executive assistants get the chance to see more of an organization than almost any other role within an organization because you're right alongside the CEO or that vice president or senior leader and you get just you get to see how they lead how do they treat the interns how do they treat the volunteers and the donors that give a million dollars versus the donors that give a thousand dollars you get to observe that and watch how they interact and how they prioritize their time Uh, and you get to be in a place where are you becoming a, a confidant in many ways and a trusted source of support and encouragement? And, and I think getting a chance to do that um, early on in Hope, I was in that role for my first 12 months. And, and I, I think it was an invaluable foundation for the rest of my career. Very good. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It is so great to hear from your perspective as you take this gap year. And I hope uh, it's been really helpful to a lot of you that are listening here today. Um, As always, please join us on future episodes of the Five Leadership Questions podcast. We hope you have a great rest of your day. 